Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. I want to welcome you all. My name is uh, Jake. I serve as one of the pastors here at Res Life. So glad that you're here uh, tonight. And um, I want to speak out of uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 7. Actually, hey, Ab, babe, could you give me my Bible? I left it. Yeah, thank you. We're going to read out of Hebrews 12 tonight. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be doing seven verses. I hope I can make it through all through seven verses, but we'll see. You never know. Um, But before we get started, um, how many of you desire to be a mature Christian? So there's this paradox uh, within the Bible, which God calls us to be childlike. How many of you have kids? Sometimes I'm like, God, are you, are you, sh- are you sure? Are you sure? Because my kids um, whine a lot. They complain a lot. They fight a lot. We do this thing as of late where our four-year-old freaks out over like very little things. Um, and my wife's been doing this thing where you go, okay, his name's Remmer. Is that a big problem? Or is that a little problem? And Remmer will often say, like, you know, he didn't get a sucker. And he's like, it's a big problem. So God calls us to be childlike, but not childish. So he calls us to be childlike in that we need to relearn to be children of a heavenly father. Because your earthly parents, how, however well-intentioned they might have been, taught you the wrong way, even if they brought you up in a Christian home. So God is calling you to relearn to be a children or a child of God. And it's, it's a completely different world than actually being a child of human parents. That's why in John 3, Jesus says you actually have to be born again. You actually have to be born of a new spirit in order to learn how to be a child of God. And, and that's the, the paradox. And what I want to give you tonight before we get started is that the only one who can teach you to be a child of God is the Spirit of God. John 14 and then 1 John teaches that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. You don't actually need a teacher. Now, the Bible has teachers to teach sound doctrine, but it's the job of the Spirit to apply the Scriptures to your life. Because here's the reality. I don't know what situation you're in in life. I don't know what your marriage is like. I don't know what your kids are like. I don't know what your grandkids are like. I don't know what your work is like. I don't know what your finances are like. I don't know what your life is like. But the Spirit of God knows exactly what you need tonight. And when you go to the scriptures, I might have my intention of what I want to teach you, but it's your job as the son or daughter of God to come humbly and hungry to say, God, I want to receive everything that you have for me tonight. And that might only be one thing. But the point isn't to go, do I understand all of Jake's message? The point of really coming and learning from the scriptures is to say, I want to learn everything that the Spirit intended for me to learn. Does that make sense? So get your, 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 your 
learning head on, your humble heart ready, and let's dive into the scriptures. So Heavenly Father, we just bless you. We thank you for your spirit, Jesus. We just continually, as, as even progressing from our time of worship, we enthrone you, Jesus. God, we just enthrone you. We declare that you, your way, your kingdom, your personhood, God, is, is higher than anything that we could ever attain in our, by ourselves. We just declare that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and that your wisdom is higher than ours, but that by your spirit, we can actually enter into the wisdom of God. And we just declare, God, your word is more powerful than any human weakness we might have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So my dad, um, how many of you were here a few weeks ago when my dad, Bernie, Pastor Bernie, and the team from Pakistan shared the testimonies? Raise your hand. And so the Lord's been using our church and really my dad's relationship with Wise and, and the people in Pakistan to do a mighty work and Throughout this whole process, it's been amazing. One of the things that I've taken from this whole process of our churches um, partnering with God in Pakistan is, is a, an awareness of my need to endure. My dad is 61 years old, and my dad has told me through this whole process in Pakistan that he says he feels his whole, like almost his whole ministry, his whole life has led up to this point. And I think of all the times that my dad could have given up. I think of all the times my dad could have quit. Oh, how, many, how many times my dad could have, you know, you know, he had difficulties in marriage and then he, he folds his cards because his flesh wants to. And I just think of all the times my dad just didn't give up. And then when he's 61 years old, God, he goes, my dad, God goes to the sideline and says, oh, look at Bernie's ready now. Let's send him. At 61 years old, and I'm sitting here going, God, I need to learn to endure. I need to learn to not give up. I need to learn to be faithful. I need to learn the way of Jesus to endure hardship so that I don't fold, I don't quit because, God, I don't know when you're gonna tap me on the shoulder for the, the, the pinnacle or the highlight of the, my assignment on this earth, but I, I, it might not be when I'm 30. I just got, I can't quit. I need to learn endurance. And so that's what we're gonna jump into today. And it's in Hebrews 12, but I can't help but think of 2 Timothy 4 where Paul says, I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And in a world where young people and even millennials and Gen Xers are deconstructing their faith and running away from the faith, I believe there is a, there is a parallel message for those of us who are faithful to Jesus to stick to the faith to endure, to not give up, to double down on our love, to double down on our sacrifice, to double down on our commitment, to double down on everything that God is calling us to because the times are evil and as darkness increases, light will increase all the more. And so let's go to Hebrews 12, let's read this and let's see what the Lord has for us tonight. Hebrews 12, one through seven. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? 
But my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So that's our scripture for today. We're going to break it down. I have four things. There's probably more, but I I kind of broke it down. Four things we can learn about endurance. Four things that we can learn about endurance through these seven verses. Let's go to our first point. It's therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So, in order to understand what this means, (laughs) you have to go to Hebrews 11. And so when you go to Hebrews 11, you read about the hall of faith. You've heard the hall of fame? This is the hall of faith. This speaks of Abraham. This speaks of Joseph. This speaks of David. This speaks of Moses. This speaks of Gideon and and all the list of the heroes of the Christian faith. And it goes back to Hebrews 11. And then it says this verse at the end, or it says this statement at the end of uh, Hebrews 11:30. And it says this verse that basically sums up and says, All these, though commended through their faith, so they all had faith. David had faith, Abraham had faith, Moses had faith. They are commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. Basically, they had faith that God God would send the Messiah, but they never saw it. They had faith in God, but they never fully saw the fulfillment of the promise, which was the Messiah, Jesus. So all these people had faith, and they're all with God in heaven now. And then he's speaking to us, all of us who are enduring hardship, enduring this world, loving Jesus and loving neighbor and, and working our sanctification out. And he's saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by this witness, think of the hundreds of millions, if not billions of Christians that are in the presence of Jesus right now. And he gives us this picture. I love, I love football. I love Michigan, okay? Don't talk to me about the sign stealing, okay? I don't want to hear it, okay? But I see the big house, and I'm thinking of the 100,000 people and watching the game, and I'm just thinking about us living our lives and, and all of the hundreds of millions and, the, and the, ancients, the ancient saints of old watching us, cheering us on, saying, if we were waiting for the day that you are living in. David is looking at you saying, I saw that day by faith, but I didn't see it with my eyes. I saw the day where God would come and live in and among his people, not in a tabernacle or a tent. David, I said, I saw, Abraham saw it, but he never saw it. Here's my first point, is that we are living in the best time in all of human history. In order to endure, you need to have a revelation that you are living in the best time of all of human history. Joel 12 prophesied that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Acts 2.28 talks about how God now has poured out his spirit on all flesh. And the spirit of God is, is, is poured out. It is, we have full access. There is nothing that God is withholding from humanity. He had given his son. He's resurrected. He will return. And in the meantime, he's given us his spirit as a deposit and a guarantee. And he says, you can have as much as me as you want. but you gotta give up yourself. You can have as much of the nature of the perfection of God as you want in this world, but it requires, as Jesus says, for us to pick up our cross, to deny ourselves, 
and to follow Jesus. We, my friends, are living in the best time in all of human history. It says that the, in 1 Peter 1, it says the prophets of old looked for this day. In Matthew 11, it says that, that Jesus says that John the Baptist is the greatest ever who's ever came, but the least in the kingdom of God, meaning you and I because we have the Spirit, is greater than John the Baptist. We, we are living in a world that is far greater than the disciples lived in when they were walking with Jesus. Some of you are like, but Jesus walked on water. But, she, but you don't understand, they didn't have the indwelling, the, whole, the, the moving in of the spirit that you and I have. And the devil would love to convince you that you are missing something. He would love to convince a church that they're powerless and weak and to pray to God that they bring, God brings the rapture so they can get out of here, to hell with the world and to heaven, to, to heaven with me. But that's not God's message. God's message is heaven is here. Go give, that, go give all the world heaven. His message is the spirit of God is here. God has broken every curse. Everyone who's oppressed can be free. Everything is on the table. Come and eat, but you must die. Oh, we don't like that must die part. We want to have it all. You, the thing is, is that you think that you keeping you is good for you, it's killing you. You doing you is the thing that got you in the situation that you're in. And the only thing that can get you out of the thing that you're in is by coming to the cross, to forfeiting all of your idols, all of your comfort mechanisms, and to say, God, I trust you. So let's keep going. Since we are, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people cheering us on, we're living in the best time in all of human history, you need that perspective to endure, friends. Because the devil will tell you this is the worst time in human history. It's the end of days. There's wars and there's diseases and there's viruses and, and this is a unprecedented times and while God's saying this is the best time to be alive ever. What are you talking about? There's always been wars. There's always been, there's always been viruses. There's always been death. But the human hasn't always had the indwelling of the Spirit. Ah, oh, my friends, the thing that we're not grasping is that Christ is among us. Oh, and there's so much endurance in his presence. Let's keep moving. I told you I might not make it through all seven verses. We're going to try. So, the second thing that we need, four things we can learn about endurance, is to take sin seriously. I mean, some of you aren't going to like me for this point, but I got to, you know. If I don't offend you every so often, then I'm not a true preacher. You know what I'm talking about? So it says this in uh, Hebrews 12.1. It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, weight is something that weighs you down. He's giving you imagery of a race. You're running a race, to run the race that is set before you, to live the life that God has given you. Stop comparing yourself. You have a race. You don't have your neighbor's race. You don't have your sibling's race. You don't have your boss's race. You don't have anyone else's race. You have your race. Run your race. Okay? And he says, now, strip off the weight. Now, there's a lot of things we can, say, we can describe or maybe categorize as weight. The thing that I felt I was supposed to share tonight is the weight of the love of money. Matthew 6, 19 through 24 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor, nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, then how great is that darkness? So what he's saying is your focus matters. Where your treasure is, what you love, that's the thing that's going to fuel you. It's going to give light to you. Okay? What you love illuminates. But if the thing that you love is darkness, then how great is the darkness within you? And what he's saying is, and right after verse 24, as we read in context, no one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What is he saying? If you love money, the light will turn into darkness and you'll be deceived. Now, is money evil? No, the love of money is the root of all of evil. Money is not evil, it's neutral. But if you love money more than you trust God, then your life will be full of darkness, deception, confusion, sin, anxiety. 1 Timothy 6.9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into a trap, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, is it wrong to desire to have money? No. But what Paul is warning us here is he's saying, if you desire money, you better be careful. If you desire to be rich, many people who started out sincere, wanting to be rich, have broken their boundaries, they have crossed lines they didn't think they would cross, and their faith has been compromised because of the love of money. Warning, warning, do not fall for the love and the comfort and the security that comes with riches. 1 Timothy 6, later on, says, as for the rich in this present age, now if you are rich, if you do have money, which we all are rich in comparison to the rest of the world, but charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of what, that which is truly life. So, whenever you talk about the love of money, this is what happens in a church. <laughs> yeah, my boss, my cousin, my neighbor, they are rich. They really struggle with the love of money. Here's the deal. Poor people struggle with the love of money. Why don't you take $10 from a poor person and see if they, if they have the love of money? Why, 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 don't, why don't you try, why don't you put a poor person or somebody who doesn't have a ton of money in a financial situation and see how much they love money? You see, we all love money. It's, it's not a rich person problem. The love of money is a people problem. And the love of money is really trusting in money to provide what only God can provide. Now, how do we battle the love of money? There's, there's a lot of ways that we can talk about this, but simply put, I would say that the, the scriptural way the most foundational ways to tithe. That we put God first with our money, that's not a guarantee that we won't fall into it, but it is the first step. You give the first tenth to the, to the Lord, so the rest is blessed, and, you know, and it's a safeguard against the love of money. I, put, I give God my best. I give God my first. I put it into his hands. He's what he gave me. You're saying a lot when you tithe. And that's the first step, just to guard yourself against the love of money. So strip off the weight. Strip off the weight. So then it says the weight, and then it says the sin. You know, it's unpopular to talk about sin in our culture. 
you know, you do you. As long as you don't hurt me, then I'm not going to say anything about your lifestyle. But Jesus came to destroy sin, to pay for sin. He came to turn sinners into sons and daughters. He came to take away sin. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paul in Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 says this about our lifestyle and our holiness or our morality. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He gives us this imagery that God bought you and you now have a mission as a Christian. And if your mission is to share the gospel, it's to love God and love people. It's to love God, to share the message of the good news of Jesus with everyone that you know. That's your job. If you didn't know, take it and run with it. Tell everyone of the good news of Jesus. And if that's the case, then sin entangles you <laughs> with the people that you're trying to reach. You know, I know a lot of people and, you know, they'll say they, you know, they're Christians and they want to evangelize and they're new to the faith and then they'll like be like, I'm going to go and, and share the gospel at the bar. It's like, dude, didn't you just come out of alcoholism? And it's like, yeah, but I'm saved. And then they go and they put themselves in compromising situations. No, don't entangle yourself. And then they'll say something like this. Well, Jake, Jesus hung out with sinners. Here's a distinction. When Jesus hung around sinners, they all became holy. And if you hang out with sinners, you become unholy, you're not doing what Jesus did. Well, Jake, I don't want to be religious. I, I don't want them to think that I'm, that I'm hating on them. I want to I reach them. Listen, don't ever compromise your boundaries or put yourself in a dangerous or compromising situation in order to reach someone. The Lord is the Savior. He is the Savior. Your prayers will do much more than you putting yourselves in a compromising situation. So we have this sin. So the gospel message is simply put is God made Adam and Eve good. Adam and Eve has sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they transferred their sin nature to all of humanity. You know, I was telling some people about my kids. I'm like, you know, I believed in sin nature and then I had kids, and now I really believe in a sin nature. <laughs> like, it is crazy. And that's given from Adam and Eve. And the good news, or the bad news, is that that sin nature will separate us from God from all of eternity if it's not dealt with. The good news is God in his grace sent his son to take on sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, to become sin, taking your place, my place, and he died, dying a sinner's death, taking the penalty that you deserve, and then he rose from the dead, and then now anyone who believes on him can be forgiven. Anyone who believes and calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. This is the good news, that you were destined to fall off the cliff and Jesus gave you his grace and it's better than just not falling off a cliff. He took you from on your way to the cliff, turned you around, bought you a mansion, gave you his spirit and said, enjoy life and tell people about my son so that they can 
they can avoid the cliff and get move into the mansion that I bought for them too. You see, this is the good news is that you were a sinner, but God saved you. And he is coming back for a glorious bride who is unstained from the world, spotless. He's coming back for us and he's expecting that we would have grown out of sin. Now, there's a, a sp- kind of a theological term that gets thrown around called sanctification. I would, call, I would describe it like this, growing in Christ-likeness which would mean growing out of sin and sin patterns, addictions and habits, and growing into the positive attributes of Christ. Humility, love for others, generosity, patience, faith, all of these attributes of of Christ, we grow into them as we grow with God in our knowledge of the scriptures. And that takes time. What I'm not saying when I say is take sin seriously is that you need to clean yourself up. That's not what I'm saying at all. We all have issues that we're working through. First John says it this way. It says, if you sin, if you sin, confess your sin. Confess your sin to God. The Lord's prayer goes something like this. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You see, but what I notice is a problem, really even in myself and in others that I minister to, is that over time, as we're in the church and we get to know the church feels and raising our hands and the church language and vocabulary, any unchurched people walk into a church and you're like, these people are like speaking a different language in here. Like, what is going on? And you get in the language and then all of a sudden, like you... Early on, like, your conscience is really soft towards sin. Like when you, when you gossip or you're jealous or you're prideful, like the, Lord, the Spirit just pricks you and you feel it. What I notice is over time, as you get in church and get into the rhythm your conscience actually starts to harden. And, and the thing that bothered you doesn't bother you. And the movie with the sex scene doesn't, you just, you just keep watching it. And, you know, when you're at work and everyone's talking and cussing and, you're, and early on you were like, I'm, like, I'm going to be a light. You find yourself just trying to fit in. And then your pride with your spouse, you know, you you used to be like so forgiving and so generous and, and humble and now you find yourself jaded and prideful and short-tempered and, and we just say, well, it just is what it is. And I don't think that's because we're terrible people. I, I think it's because we've lost the habit of, or the discipline of confessing our sin. We need to be sensitive to the slightest sin. That when we have gossip on our lips, we go, God, like, I know you love me and you forgive me, God, and you're making me more like your son. Help me to see the, the value in other people and how I'm supposed to be a peacemaker, not a division causer. Show me, show me, God, how I'm supposed to grow in your Christ likeness. You see, when we start to become insensitive to sin, sin starts to take over. You see, you give the devil an inch and he takes a mile. You see, the reason why we're supposed to be sensitive and confess our sin often is not so that we feel like we're sinners because you're not a sinner, you're a saint, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But if you take that for granted, you'll find yourself claiming the attributes of a son while you're living as an orphan. Does this make sense? You, you say you're living one way, but your, your inner life is completely different than what you're claiming is true. And that comes when we don't take sin seriously when we become insensitive to the love of money, 
to pride, to ego, to short-temperedness, to lust, to, to you, there's so many sins. Just read like 1 Corinthians 6 and you'll see this like long, long list of sins, right? And it's not just for the homosexuals. Sometimes we're like, oh yeah, the homosexuals. No, the point is, is that we all, we all have issues that we need to come to the Father and say, God, thank you for sending your son to cleanse me from all unrighteousness and increase my sensitivity, my awareness of your presence. God, I want to be a peacemaker. God, I want to be a light. I want to be holy. And he, later in Hebrews 12, it says, if there's no holiness, how is the world supposed to see God? What is he saying? He's saying, if you don't embody Christ's likeness, how is the world going to see the image of God or the body of Christ? So, Let's keep moving. I'll, I'll just end with this. It's Romans 6.1. It's just a good, it's such a good verse. Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Romans 6.2. By no means. Just because Christ will forgive you doesn't mean that you should just keep on sinning. The more you continue in habitual sin, the harder your conscience will become and the more dangerous it becomes for you and the people that are around you. And I would say this to just married couples, as not all of everyone's married, but some of us are married, and this is especially dangerous for, for married couples. We become so familiar with each other. We get so used to the kindness of our spouse. We, 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 we become so familiar that we treat others more kindly than we treat our spouses. We speak more highly of people that aren't even as close to us and we encourage others more than we encourage our spouse and we get angry at our spouse, but we don't get angry at anyone else. I'm speaking for myself. This is, this is just me. Maybe it's you too. And just often what I found is if I take that seriously, often it'll, it'll spread to other areas of my life. Like if I really focus on my wife, like loving her and being patient with her and embodying the love of Christ, it hits other areas almost automatically. So let's frame this in, in our Hebrews 12 passage of four things we can learn, or how, four things we can learn on how to endure, or to grow in endurance, is we gotta take sin seriously. If you're gonna make it to your purpose in life, to fulfill the assignment that God has for you, you have to grow in Christ's likeness. <laughs> Because the devil is after you to destroy the assignment so that God doesn't get glory. And sin is the way that he destroys you. He tempts you. He brings people. And one of the biggest ways that he tempts Christians is by bringing the wrong people into your life. The wrong voices. That person at your work who's, who's fueling your complaining about your spouse. It's people that are going to lead you to compromise the call of God on your life. So let's do the third thing. It's a little more encouraging. <laughs> Love Jesus. Hebrews 12. So the sin that, cl uh, that clings so closely, Hebrews 12, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Love Jesus. It says this, fix your eyes. Fix your eyes. It's, it's 
beautiful language, but it can be confusing because you can't see Jesus. You see, Jesus is enthroned at the right hand of the Father, and you can't see him, but Paul is saying, fix your eyes on him. And then later in verse 3, he says, consider him. So what is he getting at us? Getting at us. So if you're going to endure, run the race that's set before you, your mind has to be constantly being fixated in considering Christ. And this is a rhythm that if you don't have, you will not endure. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus, fix your attention, think about the author and perfecter of your faith. What does it mean by author? It means that the faith that we have, that was delivered once and for all, it was started, initiated by Christ. It was an event that actually happened. You don't have faith in a fake savior, a spiritual story. You have faith in a historical event that happened 2,000 years ago where Christ, God himself, came to dwell among us. You have faith fixing your eyes on the event, the coming of Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. One day, the finisher, so he started your faith. If he doesn't come, there's no Christianity. He started it. The only reason you're here is because he came, he started it, he pursued you, he loved you when you were an enemy, he loved you when you were dead, he breathed life into you. And the finisher, when you die, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he will finish what he started he will point to you and he will he will say forgiven son come into my glory he is the one who finishes it you see the trick of of the enemy is to get you to think that you have all of this power and authority and it's all up to you no you have a responsibility but it is your responsibility to trust to trust him And he's trying to put more pressure on you than what you are intended to carry. He wants to alleviate that. He wants to take that pressure, bring it. It says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. He's going to finish what he started. He's going to bring you into eternity with himself. He's going to bring you to the new city of God where he is king. Every tear is wiped away. Friends, he is going to finish this thing. He is the one who will come and he will make all things right. Everything will be perfect. So Paul's saying here, or the writer of Hebrews, fix your eyes on the author. Remember, he started it. You can trust him. And the finisher. You see, it's endurance. It's, you're in good hands, friends. Whatever you're going through, whatever battle, whatever conflict, whatever difficulty, whatever dilemma, the author and finisher of your faith, he has everything you need. And then it says this, consider him, consider him, okay, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So we have a tendency as Christians to throw pity parties. It's so hard, God. God, why are you letting this happen? Why, 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 why? And Paul is saying, don't let yourself throw a pity party. Consider him who endured such hostility against sinners. Consider him, crown of thorns, betrayed by friends, beaten, whipped, embarrassed. He endured 
so much suffering, and yet he never lost sight of his mission. And the scriptures say, consider him. So what's the point? Love Jesus. Love him. Study him. Obsess over him. Enthrone him. Thank him. Have your whole life revolve around him and considering and thanking and thinking and praying and praising and enthrone Jesus in your home, in your car, everywhere you go because if you want to endure, there's one secret ingredient and it is Jesus Christ himself. God wants to help you in whatever situation you're in. But the greatest and most enduring help that you can ever get is faith in the presence of Jesus with you. So trust in him. Love Jesus. You know, in Matthew 22, the Lord gives us the greatest commandment. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. What I've noticed in American culture, specifically in American Christianity, is I like to call it, it's the forgotten command. Most people, even though they know the greatest commandment is to love God, they actually think the greatest command is to love other people. I want to love my neighbor. I want to love this group. I want to love this person. I'm going to love here. I'm going to go serve here. I'm going to go serve here. And they, and they go through their whole life being the, the, the Martha. Loving other people. When God's greatest commandment is to be Mary. It's to love Jesus. Love him with affection. Love him with prayer. Love him with praise. To love him. To love him with your obedience. To love him with everything you have. To to love him. To give your life to loving and serving him. This is the greatest commandment. Oh, and the second is like it. Love people. But here's what I've noticed. The more I love God, the more loving people is automatic. Because the more I love God, the more he makes me like him. And he's love. So the forgotten command is to actually love God. And if you'll love him, if you abide in him, you'll bear much fruit. You'll have endurance. You'll make it through to accomplish the assignment that God has on your life. And the lastly, oh man, I don't have time for it. I'll I'll just say it because I like to get through my notes. But my last point, so let me go over them quick for you. We are living in the best time of all human history. Take sin seriously, love Jesus, and categorize hardship or think of hardship as an opportunity to deepen your relationship with God. So hardship is not punishment. It's, it can be discipline. And this is what it says in Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. uh, nor be weary when approved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now, an important little note about discipline is that that, um, sickness and disease, in, in, in our my opinion, in our church's stance, sickness and disease is not discipline of the Lord. 
I, if I were to discipline my four-year-old son, I would, I, I would never um, go get a disease and give it to him and say, learn your lesson. I wouldn't beat him or punish him uh, physically. Now, I might give him a spanking that might hurt for a moment, but I would never do anything that would cause him lasting harm. Now, the dis- so it's not sickness and disease. So that means that discipline can take the place of just relational difficulty, difficulty at work. It just be, honestly, there can be times of anxiety and stress and the Lord is trying to show you. You might take away your comforts. You might be depending on like a friend and that friend leaves and now you're in this turmoil and it might be God taking that person away so that you can draw closer to him. In some cases, there, 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 there can be different situations that God moves into your life, takes away a counterfeit comfort so that you'll depend on him. And that's him being a good father. Think of hardship not as punishment, but as opportunities to deepen your relationship with God. And friends, I, I think if we'll do these four things, think of this time as the best time to ever live. <laughs> Take sin seriously, love Jesus deeply, and consider hardship as an opportunity for growth. I believe that we will endure. We can, we can follow in the footsteps of, of saints of old and men like my dad who at age 61 are living the best life they've ever lived. And so I just encourage you to take whatever the Lord highlighted in this message, take it home, take it to heart, take it to the Lord and, and grow from it. Would you pray with me? There's a lot, there are a lot of misconceptions about the nature of God. But in the person of Jesus, the Bible says it this way, if you've seen Jesus, you have seen God. So the scriptures or the Bible's account of Jesus is a perfect representation of who God is. In fact, the scriptures declare that Jesus is God. And what we see in Jesus, he says, I did not come for the healthy, I came for the sick. He didn't come for those that were perfect and had their lives together, he came for those who recognize that they have sinned and that they need a savior. He came for those that are, that have grown up in traumatic homes and have had traumatic lives and lives full of sin and, and they're at the end of their rope and not knowing where to go. He came for those people to show you love and to offer you forgiveness if you'll believe, repent, and follow Jesus. You see, it's a free gift of grace, but it does require us to submit to turn from our old ways and to trust him. And if that's you, maybe you're far from God, maybe you've been close to God and now you're coming back and you're attempting, maybe you are at the end of your rope and you're desperately crying out to God. His love and grace and forgiveness is here. We're gonna say a prayer and if, and if you wanna get right with God, if you wanna tonight know that you're forgiven, we're gonna say a prayer and everyone's gonna repeat it. Just mean it from your heart. Pray it directly to God as you repeat this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me in all of my sin. 
I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and that his blood paid the penalty for all of my mistakes. I give you my life. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. From this day forward, I give you my life. This is my favorite part. If that's you and you mean this, mean this. I receive your eternal life. Don't repeat this part. Think about this if you're praying this for real. You're never going to die. When you receive forgiveness from Christ, it's a guarantee that you will live forever with him. And that eternal life starts today. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand. I just want to pray with you one last time. If that's you and you prayed that for real, on the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise it up. I just want to pray with you. I see that hand. Anyone else? I see that hand. I'm just going to pray for you guys one more time. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for your presence here. I just thank you for your power. Thank you for your love. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, every spirit of oppression gets off their bodies and off their backs and off them right now. I pray that anything that's been hindering them, I pray that it breaks right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that they would feel the embrace and love of Jesus Christ, God. And I pray against any attack of the enemy this week, God, that this week will be a week like they've never had, that they will see you, feel you, notice you, and that God, that from this day forward, their world will be in color when before it was black and white. I just pray that your power and grace would overwhelm them and transform them into a new person. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.